health care reform, dealing with family medicine in these changing times. These are tough issues, things that are tough to grapple with, and everybody's facing the issues. Dr. Richard Ashley Young is my guest on this program. We're going to be talking with him about these issues and more. Welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough, and with me is Dr. Richard Young. Dr. Young is Director of Research and Co-Associate Program Director at the JPS Family Medicine Residency Program. He is based in Fort Worth, Texas. And Dr. Young, first of all, thank you for joining us on the program. Oh, well, thanks for having me. You know, we started off with some, some really interesting topics when you think about it. You know, the idea of health care reform. We're talking about Obamacare. We're talking about changes. Where do you see medicine right now and, and where it's headed? Are you happy with the way family medicine is going? Are you concerned? What's your, what's your take right now? Oh, it's a mixed bag. I think that um, there are some optimistic signs that I believe some of the payers, and I mean both on the government side and the private employer side, are starting to realize that a better supported primary care infrastructure is really important to the future of the country. But I also feel like there's sort of shades of the HMO era coming back, and, and I kind of worry that the, the family medicine push right now is, is it just sounds to me too familiar to what we went through in the managed care era. You know, you bring that up, and I kind of think the same thing. I, I uh, Both of us have a teaching and residency program and working with residents background and i i look at it in my program where i remember some of the best recruits we got members of our own faculty we recruited in the mid 90s because some of the best medical students i ever saw go into family medicine came out at that time because it was going to be the so-called uh, specialty of the generation and i remember it mostly because i used to go to these residency fairs and yet back in those days you'd go with your booth and you'd you try to recruit people and i remember early in the 90s I'd be there and it was anesthesiology or radiology and other programs that all the students were flocking to and then like in the mid 90s all of a sudden they were coming to family medicine and ignoring radiology and ignoring the anesthesiology and then it shifted again and I, it does seem it goes up it goes down it goes up it goes down and and we are at probably one of these times where they're saying it's going to be great but having lived through it you just wonder well and, and the students are voting with their feet I mean you know the and before the managed carrier really took off, about 7-8% of medical students in the U.S. went into family medicine. At the peak, it got up to about 20%. And then when the public very justly uh, revolted against the evils of the managed care era, I mean, the problem for us in family medicine is they threw away the baby with the bathwater. So, you know, the, the excesses of the health insurance companies and just the horrible way it was managed um, the public lost interest in us, medical students lost interest in us, and, and basically we went right back down to about 7-8% of the American medical students want to go into family medicine, and we've been sort of stuck there ever since. And, and every year, you know, you hear these little, you know, stories about, oh, things are better. It, it's tiny percentages. We, we are so far off from where we need to be when you look at the rest of the world and I'm talking places like England, Sweden, Japan, Australia, Canada, or something more like 40 to 50% of all their medical students go into family medicine. So we have a long way to go. Well, a lot of people, obviously, who listen to this program on ReachMD are primary care physicians, but we get the wide spectrum because of the way the program is run throughout the day and when people listen to it. And um, what is it that you see as the biggest strength of family medicine? What do you see as the reason you went into it? 
and the focus that maybe young doctors, people considering it, should be looking at? Well, I mean, lots of reasons. I mean, for one thing, if all I did was zap retinas all day long, I'd, you know, I'd pull my hair out. Not, not that I have that much left in the first place, but <laughs> yeah, the, the breadth, the variety, the relationships, the, the blend of cognitive and procedural work. I mean, all of that makes it a, a, a challenge to show up to work every day. Um, of all the issues we deal with, if you look at lists of, you know, what do family docs do in a day, I mean, nothing is more than like 10% of, of what we do. So for people who are comfortable with uncertainty, people who love variety, uh, family medicine is still a great field. And people who want to feel more like they're masters of a tiny sliver of information, a tiny field of, of interest, I mean, there's there's fields where they can go into and, you know, all they do is corneas all day. Uh, but that's not me. I, I love the variety. I love the, the challenge of being able to take care of any body part, any sex, either sex, any age, you know, as from womb to tomb, as we like to say. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough, your host. I'm speaking with Dr. Richard Young. He is Director of Research. He's a co-associate program director at John Peter Smith Hospital, Fort Worth. He's been there since 1990, so obviously it's a place you like, a place you've probably enjoyed much of your career. When you look at the career in kind of a similar span as I have had, and you look at why it's still 7 and 8% in family medicine and not 15 and 20 like other countries perhaps or even more, what do you say the reason is? Why is it not necessarily a specialty that's chosen at great numbers? Well, I think certainly the money's part of it. I mean, we're, we're about the lowest paid doctors of all the uh, typical American doctors, and that's still working an average um, number of hours per week and, um, and that sort of thing. Uh, but, but I think it's deeper than that. I think the problem starts uh, really at the medical schools because, and, and, there, and there, there's several reasons for that. I mean, one is that um, in terms of the academic games that are played at the medical school, uh, there's really, your family medicine comes into this with both hands tied behind its back. You've got a culture where the research dollar and prestige and all that sort of stuff are, are rewarded at a medical school. Well, we don't have any research funding, right? There's a National Institute of Every Body Part. There's a foundation for Every Body Part, Cancer Society, Heart Association, that sort of thing. There is nothing for generalism. There's nothing for primary care. There's nothing for complexity. So, so in terms of the games that are played at the medical school, you know, we can't bring in the, the funding that's sort of the coin of the realm in that world. And so that the, the other big problem to me is just the whole culture of the medical school in its reductionist mode. Um, so we, we see things where there aren't easy answers. We, we see patients tell us, I just don't feel right, I hurt all over, um, my life is crap right now, and... There, there's no disease. There's no, you know, simple genetic explanation for that. But, but that's the issues that we deal with a lot. And so part of what we do is instead of having this sort of very concrete reductionist way of going through a, a, a um, history and order a bunch of tests and get a clean diagnosis, start a treatment, a lot of what we do is exercise judgment. And some people with chest pain need the big million-dollar workup. Some people with chest pain need a pat on the back that says they're okay. And that sort of complexity, that, that lack of a clear end, end result, 
is something that is not rewarded, not appreciated all at the medical school. And so, therefore, the the students um, don't look at family medicine as something that they want to do because the the people who are exalted in a medical school, you know, look more like the people who find a disease, invent a new treatment, that sort of thing. But that, that is not a, a big part of our daily lives. When you look at the positives, again, um, you talked about the fact there's so many different things you can do, so many directions you can go. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the, the fundamental features of family medicine is the physicians themselves are comfortable with uncertainty and complexity. And so that, that is sort of the psychological tool that we bring to work every day that allows us to exercise this judgment. So we, we order plenty of MRIs and CTs and put people in the hospital, but you've got to be sick enough for it to make sense. And a, a lot of other fields have just given up that judgment. They, you know, they treat every chest pain the same. They treat every diarrhea the same, you know, that sort of a thing. And, and so the, the, our, our ability to kind of shift with the, the particulars of each patient are what really bring the magic. I mean, the, the literature is over 30 years old now that places with more family physicians have better care at a lower cost, and really there's no other field that can say that, not even uh, internal medicine or peds. And so it, um, I believe that the real solution in terms of fixing the payment problem is, is really pretty simple. I don't think, it, as I've told other people, whether or not a single payer or a private insurance company or a person paying out of their pocket in some high deductible plan pays 1500 bucks for an MRI, that's not the most important issue. The most important issue is, is an MRI going to be helpful in the first place? And that's where the judgment of the family physician really shines. And so I, I think the real problem with the current system is the CMS, it's, you know, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, their rules on documentation, coding, and billing that were written in the mid-'90s, they're onerous, they're burdensome, they were written by a bunch of doctors that basically take care of one body part, and they just do not allow family docs to express the work they do. So if I see one simple problem in the office, that is, um, you know, the rules and all, they, they pay me fairly, I got a problem with it. The problem is when the little old lady comes in and opens up her purse and wants to talk about ten things, well, I can help her with ten things, but the problem is existing rules stop paying me after I deal with two things. And so one of my gripes with, like, where we're going with this patient-centered medical home and all that is no one's really talking enough, in my opinion, about changing the fundamental payment structure for the doctors. You know, some people talk about... You know, there's these transition of care codes that they've thrown out. People talk about hiring nurse coordinators and, you know, diabetic coaches and this kind of stuff. But that that's not where the real action is. You know, that, that, that doesn't really tie in very well to the reasons family docs provide better care to lower costs. So, so there's got to be a change to where we can take a, a very complex patient with multiple chronic diseases, new symptoms, social problems, family problems, you know, you name it, and have the time to really get into that and make some very difficult judgment calls in these patients. If you start doing that, then you'll, you'll take the very sickest patient population, which is those with five or more chronic diseases, and you'll be applying the judgment of these physicians who are really good at complexity, and that's where the magic comes from. That's where you get to reduce hospitalizations, uh, 
avoid unnecessary surgeries, keep people out of the hospital, keep them out of the ER, and that's where the real savings come from. I'm talking with Dr. Richard Young, and we have a couple minutes left. Uh, you're with the Department of Family Medicine at John Peter Smith Hospital in Fort Worth, Texas. And when we talk about family medicine programs, I work at a hospital, you work at a hospital. Do you think the hospital in 2013, 2014, 2015 is the best place to house a family medicine residency? I mean, would they be better off not attached to a hospital? Because it seems like the hospital model of income in many respects is not necessarily the model of family medicine. Um, I think that, um, well, I'll, I'll give you full disclosure. I mean, I'm, I'm at a residency that's, that's really nationally known for being aggressive and really training people to do the, the classic old country doctor style of family medicine, deliver babies, do C-sections, take care of people in the hospital, all that sort of stuff. And um, so, but I, I, I'll acknowledge that there are certainly other systems where the, the generalist doesn't go to the hospital. So, for, for example, in Britain, their GPs don't work in the hospital. And that was a deal struck back in the 40s when the NHS was first created. But I still think that the continuity of care, uh, our ability to make excellent judgment calls in even the sickest people is still important in the hospital. And I, in this payment reform work that I've been working on, I focus more on the outpatient side, but you could apply the same principles to the inpatient side. You know, there's, there's too many patients in, in many hospitals that get referred to too many doctors. You end up with a problem of too many cooks spoiling the broth. And so if you could still incentivize one comprehensive doctor to take care of this whole myriad of problems and then have that doctor see him in the outpatient clinic soon thereafter, then a lot of these proposals that are out there about transition people, you know, transition nurses, uh, care coordinators, all this sort of stuff, you don't need all those people if you just paid the doctor a fair wage to go to the hospital, take care of his own sick patients. So, yeah, so I might, maybe some might call me old-fashioned, but I still think the, the family doctor taking care of his own patients in the hospital has value, but it just hasn't been able to be expressed because, again, we're not paid for the work we do. Dr. Richard Young, I want to thank you for joining us. We'll run out of time, but you really brought up some very interesting points and a, a lively discussion, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to respond. And, um, by the way, if you have only heard part of this, uh, you can actually get the entire program by listening to ReachMD, but also uh, you can also um, get the information by visiting ReachMD.com slash primary care today. You can download the podcast and you can learn more on this series. I want to thank everyone for listening and most importantly, Dr. Young, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here.